I'm looking, I'm like, I'm looking like into the what reflections are on the top of the Lily Bourne can. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a man in a teapot naked. So I think you're in pretty good shape. Like, there's nothing <laughs> recognizable in there. I didn't <laughs> tell you. At first, I was like, oh, wait. I did this in like shirt, a shirt, and underwear. Should I be worried? Suddenly, this page is really popular. <laughs> and some some cans don't have any labels on them. They're the right. only cans. And so, like, I had gone like half. They taken photos, and I was like, oh shit. But then when I went back and I looked, like, I, you can see anything. But I can't imagine that one name. I'm going to find out that somebody made a meme out of this person who was stupid enough to take photos while in underwear and they were able to extrapolate it and ha ha ha, they're so dumb. I just accept that's going to be me. This episode of It Will Probably Be Okay was recorded on July 1st, 2020. Probably okay. A genius, a storyteller, take on the premise of reform versus abolition. Do we need the police? My name is Kenji, and I'm a marketer who loves learning new things. I'm Nick, and I used to really love to draw those like weird S's in elementary school. Do you remember those? <laughs> and I'm Gabe Wallenberg. I drank a whole bottle of Bon Bon Cherry before we started recording. <laughs> Alright, so before we get into the main juicy topic of reform versus abolition, does anybody have any mini topics that they want to throw out there? I'll just jump in really quickly. At the beginning of our quarantine adventure, a couple of friends were talking about a TV show on its first season, and I ended up uh, checking it out and just want to throw it out as a recommendation. Uh, Dave from FXX. I don't know if any, if either of you have watched it. Dave? Yeah. I No, I have not watched it, but I've heard about it. So it's a comedy about Little Dicky, who's a white rapper trying to make it in the rap world. And it's on FXX, so I, I kind of initially thought like, oh, this is going to be like stupid funny. And a lot of cases it is, but also it's surprisingly thoughtful and heartfelt as well. So it's funny, but then it's also sweet and sad. It's only nine 30-minute episodes. I just thought the first season was brilliant. It's definitely... Um, takes on really complicated issues like relationship and and race, but with a real heart. Uh, I would highly recommend it. That's Dave on the FX network. I am almost never exposed to the FX network because they don't advertise in interstitials during YouTube, but I will definitely check it out. Give it a shot. Definitely. So here's my thing. My mini topic for today is centered on one of our usual gripes and complaints. But I spent four hours this morning making phone calls looking for a handyman. I have a handful of small jobs here at the house that I think I could do. But the reality is I could probably get them done and it would be a triumph, but there's a man out there I could pay $200 who could do it in a half day and feel great. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be ruined for the rest of my life or at least that week because I tried to take something out of my kitchen that most people would not consider taker outable. That being said, <laughs> I spent like I said, four hours calling handymen and handymen's representatives 
And not one of them made me feel like I was anything less than an intrusion into their day. Oh, not one. Wow. I, everyone I called either told me they have more business than they need right now. Yeah, there's a surplus of jobs. Yep. I, 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 you know what? If you want anything done, it's going to be at least four weeks. And I go, oh, four weeks. That sounds great. And they're like, yeah, I'm not taking jobs right now. Like, it'll just, they'll just shut it down. Like, yes, ending all the way. And they're just shutting it down. Now, I don't have a problem with that per se, right? Like, handyman is a business of press and flesh. You know somebody who knows somebody. You, why even have a phone number, really, honestly? And why advertise on Google? And this gets to the tech part of it that I really don't understand and i'm hoping to kenji you might have some insight into about half of these these handymen who are in the watertown area right so they're near to me about half of them have a business dot sites website so dale the handyman dot business dot sites you and all of these websites pretty much look the same. So I looked into it. And these are Google Sites sites for business. So my question is, these guys have websites that either Google set up for them or they paid somebody to set up for them because got to be on that Google. Now, if you got to be on that Google, the second option, then why are they so hostile to me when I call? Which makes me think that somebody set them up with a website. They paid them X dollars or they answered yes on a thing, right? Like an, a robocall. And now they have a Google listing that is better than everyone else's because it has a Google site. These reprehensible <laughs> handymen who are not interested in my projects my favorite response i don't really know how to do that what like and to which i actually said i don't either let's figure it out together you won't and he's like yeah i'm not interested i said okay but you have tools like i don't want to drive back and forth to the hardware store 15 times you have tools nothing i don't really know how to do that I was asking him to wow. replace the heating coil in our dishwasher. The dishwasher works fine. It just doesn't heat. Mm -hmm. It's a little metal bar along the bottom. I could probably pull it out, dig around, find the right wrench, strip out the nut, uh, put the new part in, re-strip out the nut, drive to the store, get another nut, come back, find out I got the wrong part, put the old part in, come back here, go to my house, come back, install it have it work put it back in the box realize it wasn't put it back in the wall realize i didn't actually have it working pull it back out of the wall did you actually do this no but i could like i'm i know i'm capable. he's capable of, he's very capable of doing this i dream of this i have done enough horrors to my own sink to know i can get down and under there and wreck shit like nobody's business i just want a man who's good with tools to figure it out. I'm not that man. 
And that shouldn't be that hard to find. Right. Like, I knew a ton of guys when we worked for our former corporate overlord who did this on the reg, right? Yeah, right. But I can't find them on the internet. I don't know their telephone numbers. And the ones I've called don't really know how to do that. I, I think you I think you hit on one of my least favorite customer service tropes. It's like that moment when that person that does that job that you know nothing about acts like you're stupid for not knowing. Like, oh, we're busy. We're we're booked for the next four weeks. Well, yeah, I didn't know that. That's why I was calling you. Like, don't <laughs> because I didn't I didn't know that all handymen are booked for the next four weeks. I'm not a handyman. <laughs> I mean that should be obvious. I'm calling you. I'm calling a handyman. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, and I I I hate to make it like just so petty, but here's here's the here's the the twist on the business.sites sites. As you scroll down one of these sites, they have a spot down at the bottom for recommendations. And I usually ignore them because if you're buying a site, then I'm hoping you're smart enough to buy the five-star review farm as well, right? Yeah. And so I'm looking through it, and there's no reviews on this one except one five-star review. And it says, great! <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Handyman Inc. has the testimonial from Dale that says, great! And I was like, well, you know, like, all of the nuts you buy from Walgreens are nice. So maybe I'll just give him a call. So I call him up. I'm like, hey, I'm looking for blah, blah, blah. He was a really nice guy. And he's like, listen, I, I, I actually have never done that. I don't really do that. And I'm kind of retiring. So I appreciate your call. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. It's no big deal. And he's like, I said, just, just, you know, who, you know, who am I talking to? He says, oh, I'm Dale. <laughs> beautiful if i was calling around asking someone to make do something ridiculous like i'm looking for a way to put six raspberry pies in parallel in my chicken coop so i can look at my chickens from all the angles and they were like you don't know how to do that and i'd be like no but i feel like i should learn i i would learn but like i'm just asking for a simple like i want a sink put in it would be neat if someone painted my deck. Hey, does that tree look too big to you? Like, I'm willing to pay money for work. You just have to pretend to be interested in me. <laughs> I don't even care. I don't even care if you're not actually interested in me. You just have to pretend. That is a really good segue into the idea of, of policing and... <laughs> and how things would be so different if police could actually pretend to be vaguely interested or invested in the outcomes of the community. <clears throat> so before we get started on the big topic, I want to ask you guys a few questions. And I want you to actually get a pen and paper, or pencil and paper, or your phone. I want you to write this down. <clears throat> The first question is, are you for police reform? Yes or no? Are you for abolishing the police? 
So let's say, are you for a police abolishment? That just, I hate the word abolishment, but it works. Yes or no. And then I want you to, on a scale of one to 10, so if you answered, regardless of your answer, on a scale of one to 10, when it comes to police reform, from very against to being very for, I want you to rank yourself, one being very against and 10 being very for. This is not scientific in any way, and I am ashamed of how I'm using my um, Likert scale right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nodding like I know what words you said mean. <laughs> so I want you to do that scale for police reform and then for police abolishment. So then we're going to go around and I'm going to have each of you say, you know, where you are and how you rate. And then we're going to dive in first to the definition of police. And then at the end of this, I would like to take another temper check to see where you are, given all of this information we've discussed. How does that sound? Cool. Yeah. Cool. So are you for police reform? Yes. No. I am not for police reform anymore because I feel like I'm a beginner here. I am very much in the middle because yes, I understand that police reform right now is not is not the thing that's going to work. But at the same time, I think I'm still mentally holding on to like the old guard. And when it comes to being for or against police ab abolishment, I am right now at a nine. So, <laughs> Nick, where are you at? So I said I was for police reform, 10 out of 10. And I said I was not for abolishment. And I was about at a two for that. And I know you didn't ask for more information, but I, I feel like I don't know enough about police abolishment to support it. So I'm interested in having this discussion. Thanks. Uh, am I for the reformation of what we call police? And I would say, yes, that needs to be rethought very much. And I gave that a 10. Am I for abolishing the police? I think we should eliminate the police in their entirety and call them something else. Mm. And I gave that an eight. Because I recognize that the argument of we shouldn't have no police is a very hard argument to have. But... We used to just have soldiers and not peacekeepers, right? So I feel like this might just be a semantic thing. Okay. So you dive into it there. How do you define policing? So you mentioned like back in the day, it was, you know, more soldiers and peacekeepers than, than police as we know it. So how do you define policing? And what do you think police, what do you think of? Well, so that's, that's like super complicated, right? Because I was a reporter for a long time and I covered a lot of police beats and I loved covering those police beats. I'd come in and I'd, I'd talk with the, the, the local police and I got to know their clerks and some of them are uniformed officers and some of them are just clerks, um, depending on jurisdiction. And I would say that for the bulk of the work that police 
in local yokel communities. I mean, I never really reported anywhere bigger than Butler. For the bulk of the work that the police do, their job really is in enforcement of local statutes. You know, for the most part, local police make sure that the parking is good. They make sure that city hall is clean. They they investigate things. They in in local yokels, it's all about sort of generating revenue based on local ordinances that were elected officials decided where where we want to put our resources. In larger cities, I know that's less the case, but in in the experience that I've had, the police do the work of generating revenue so that there can continue to be police. That seems to be their primary function (laughs) in local local communities. And they do that, and they're also there for responding to emergencies, but also they share that responsibility with EMTs and firefighters in local yokels. Sometimes those firefighters are professionals, and sometimes they're volunteers. Nick? How would I define policing? I would define policing as um, controlling and responding to community members, um, at their community, at the community members' request, but then also enforce laws and local statutes or whatever. So we've got enforcement of local statutes, generating revenue, especially when it comes to smaller cities, and then um, patrolling and responding to community members' requests, essentially infor- enforcement of any like local laws or statutes. So when I think of police, when I think of Similar to, to, to each of you, I think of enforcement of laws and regulations, and when I'm pissed off about like traffic tickets, then I think of the fact that they're really just there to generate revenue. I definitely don't think of them as protecting, and I really don't think of them as serving in any great sense, which is why I always hate to see that shit on their cars. But pulling from, there's this this website, this great website uh, called crystalresistance.org. Uh, I'm going to pull what they have for defining policing. And policing is a relationship made up of a set of practices that are empowered by the state to enforce law and social control through the use of force. So I think we can agree, like, we, we all kind of got that notion. Um, I don't think any of us uh, mentioned a social relationship, but it's interesting to think of that as you know, actually, that is part of the contract here. It goes on to say, reinforcing the oppressive social and economic relationships that have been central to the U.S. throughout its history. The roots of policing in the United States are closely linked to the capture of people escaping slavery and the enforcement of black codes. Similarly, police forces have been used to keep new immigrants in line and to prevent the poor and working classes from making demands. As social conditions change, how policing is used to target poor people, people of color, immigrants, and others who do not conform on the street or in their homes also shifts. Choices policing requires about which people to target, what to target them for, and when to arrest and book them play a major role in who ultimately gets imprisoned. So when I think about that, I... Over the last few weeks, I've seen a lot of discussions about, you know, how the original slave catcher was the 
police officer and it's really uncanny to see how their emblem became kind of like marshal services or uh, sheriffs or police officer emblems. Um, for me, I, it's like there's always this this uh, internal war, this internal argument, like rationally, I, I understand all of this. And I agree with all of this because, like, the numbers support it. But I'm one of those people who's only ever had good experiences with the police. And, like, actually, a week ago, I got stopped for doing a UE. And I didn't get a ticket. And I thought about how... My experiences, even though I rationally understand this is what other people go through, have you ever reflected on how your interactions of uh, with police officers could potentially be different given the change in circumstances? Uh, I definitely have. Um, I, I feel like um, in the past when I had any kind of like like normally getting pulled over or whatever, I would be very deferential to the cop and very respectful. And I'm kind of mad at myself for that now. Um, you don't know your rights and, and you feel like they do. It's kind of easy to go into that. Oh, sorry, sir. Like I, I didn't realize how fast I was going. I don't know. I think that a lot of times I think back to those circumstances and, and what I regret is not really what my rights were, not really... Or, or kind of like kissing up in a way that that I regret now. So you regret giving respect to a group of people who perhaps are not deserving of that respect. You think? I, 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 yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I think, I think um, in this country, I, I was just reflecting actually today. I was thinking about this. We recently in Milwaukee had, I think, three cops die. A couple of them died um, on service, and like we literally shut the freeways down. People were standing on the overpasses and everything like that. And not that I would ever do this, but I started to think, what if I went and held the sign that said "All Jobs Matter"? Um, <laughs> like, like I'm not going to do that. But it's just like we have we have lifted this group of. People, some probably a very small number of them, very deserving, but 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 a, a vast number of them um, in a kind of a questionable status, and we've lifted them up as heroes. And and I mean, I think now is the perfect time to evaluate whether that's really the wrong way to look at this thing. So that's where my answer comes from. It's like that thought of, you know. Why, why, like, why did I blindly be like, oh, yeah, may, I guess it makes sense they shut the freeways down. This was a hero. And now, as I've seen police on video attacking our citizens, and I've read stuff, um, it, it kind of, I, I mean, I feel like an idiot, but I mean, I, I have a totally new perspective. Gabe, has your perspective changed? <laughs> See, it's complicated. <laughs> yes, it has changed over time. Um, I can't express these ideas in a way that isn't my own experience, right? And so I want to make that very clear. These are experiences that I have had. And I'm not, I'm going to try really hard not to wrap myself as, you know, this, this stot, snot-nosed skater punk from the, from the 80s and 90s, um, which I was, but like, know that I'm not trying to rep that. 
right? Like that's that's not where I'm coming from. Like I I was raised to never trust the police. <laughs> <laughs> My father is a great guy and an upstanding citizen, but graduated high school in 1968, <laughs> got a teaching degree in order to not go to war. Um through a series of incredibly complicated and personal things, had some terrible experiences with the police. And so I was taught from the very beginning, don't trust soldiers, don't trust the police. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was weird because here I am watching Sesame Street and they're singing about the people in my neighborhood. And there's this blue anything Muppet who's a cop who I'm supposed to just go up to if I need help. And... I can't reconcile that with what I'm seeing on TV and what my, what my, my cultural upbringing is, right? Don't trust the police. And so I enter elementary school and you get to know individual police officers. They come in and they do their puppet dance and they do, they do dare and McGruff the crime dog. And <laughs> you're a little kid. And so you're, you're not expecting a, adults in uniforms to manipulate you. You're just like, yeah. Wow, Officer Harry, he's a real guy. Uh, And he's all right, so all cops must be all right. And and then you go up to Officer Harry and you're like, hey, Officer Harry, I'm I'm not, I'm so happy you're here. You know, sometimes, here's the thing, Officer Harry, my Aunt Mervyn has a little metal box with funny weeds in it. And they smell good and sometimes he smokes them. And then... Next thing you know, you know, a local educator is being investigated. Now, that oh my God. didn't happen. So is is the police liaison in the school in that case? Is he there as a community liaison or is he there as, you know, it's part of his job to find crimes and search them out? And the answer is always the latter. And I try explaining this to my students today, like, listen, I'm cool. Don't get me wrong. I like you and I support you. But there are things you can tell me that you if you tell me I have certain legal obligations I have to take action on. So don't tell me those things. And the police, in my experience, have never actually said that to someone they're having a conversation with right in fact our constitution requires that they say that but not until after they've taken you into custody so i was taught not to talk to police that any interaction with the police is a bad interaction when my bicycle got stolen uh and the police found i had to go to the police station to pick up my bicycle and like it was as if I had committed a crime. So let's smash cut to a 22-year-old Gabe who is, who is covering the city of Oconomowoc, and he's got buddies and stuff in the force. Like, he knows a lot of, a lot of police officers. He, the chief of Oconomowoc Police used to come by my office and talk with me and my colleague Donna, and we would have laughs and talks and have such a good time. And then one day I was out raking the vestibule. That's right. Our office had a vestibule that would catch lots of leaves. And I was out raking the vestibule, taking the leaves out, and I was raking them into the street because that's what you do in the city of Milwaukee, right? 
and in Watertown here too. Like you rake them into the street and then the yeah. street sweeper comes by and picks them up. Well, that's against the law in Oconomowoc, turns out. And as the oh, chief wow. of police walks up, he starts pantomiming through the window at, at my colleague going, what is this idiot doing? And he goes for his ticket book. At which point my colleague runs out and says, whoa, 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 whoa. He doesn't know. It's okay. We'll clean it up. <laughs> I knew him personally. I liked him. He was coming by on a personal visit. And he very well might have written me a ticket had Donna not been there without even saying, hey, you know, that's not our law. I want to talk a bit more about abolition and what that looks like. The thing about the whole abolition movement is there is no monolith. It's like trying to define define black people. Like you, you can't do it. But I did find some good quotes that I think hit all points that I think we need to hit. This is by Ruth Wilson Gilmore in Prisons and Class Warfare. And she says that the purpose of abolition is to expose and defeat all the relationships and policies that make the United States the world's top cop, warmonger, and jailer. Abolition is a movement to end systemic violence, including the interpersonal vulnerabilities and displacements that keep the system going. In other words, the goal is to change how we interact with each other and the planet by putting people before profits, welfare, before warfare, and life over death. And when I read that, and like as I look into abolition, I have to ask you, if you weren't solidly pro-abolition, what's holding you back? I'm solidly pro-abolition. I mean, I'm at an eight because... I, I feel like in order to succeed, you have to have a little wiggle room. But I really am inspired when I think of a world that funds social work the way we fund police departments. Mm -hmm. I think that would be an incredible boon to everybody. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a domestic dispute and somebody pulled up in the social work helicopter and <laughs> social work SWAT teams flew down in their in their uh, social work both social vests and, and were able to you know get everyone to agree to disagree and then they went right back up on their repellers and zipped away into the sky off to their next social work crisis and that's ridiculous but we pay cops that they have those materials and tools to yeah. inform us so the short answer to the question you actually asked in nikenji is is I would, what's keeping me from being an eight instead of a 10 is that you need to have some room for negotiation in your conversation. Because <laughs> if I just came out with a 10, nobody would believe, would, would even be willing to hear what I had to say as thought out and reasonable. Okay. So I'm, I'm a 10 masquerading as an eight. <laughs> I would, yeah, like um, echoing said, Gabe, it was, it was kind of astonishing to me to see once things started in Milwaukee that like, Walk the Waukesha Police Department were, were rolling their like fucking tanks into the into Milwaukee to like help quell the protests. I just why do they have tanks in Waukesha? Like what is going on? Like couldn't that money have been spent much more wisely? How often do they have a situation where they're like, hey, we need to get the police tank in Waukesha? Like it makes no sense to me. The police chief in Economa told me one time that he was aghast at the way people were outfitting their departments using post 9-11 yeah. security funding mm. and grants 
he was appalled that they were doing that and not beefing up their 911 cell phone system. And to this day, even the 911 cell phone system languishes technologically far behind right. any kind of technology they have. There's just this jocular culture um, that has come to the surface in policing and, and this kind of lack of accountability along with way too much discretion that's offered to the, these people. And a lot of times, you know, when, when there's a situation, you don't necessarily need someone with a gun to show up. I mean, most times police aren't stopping a crime. They're coming to write a little report after it happened. I, I can totally get down with abolishment if it means finding a way forward that still provides money towards a group of individuals in society who can do the good parts of policing that we need done, but overall policing needs a, a complete reset. So if that's what abolition is, I'm for it. Okay. So in talking to you guys, it seems like you're halfway there. I want to talk a bit about like what reform is and does versus how an abolitionist uh, would view things. And again, cribbing from Critical Resistance, they have this great sheet. Like if you if you're on Twitter, you've probably seen this sheet. But they talk about reformist reforms versus abolitionist steps in policing. And the key factors that they compare is one, does it reduce funding to police? Two, does it challenge the notion that police increase safety? Three, does it reduce the tools, tactics, and technology police have at their disposal? And four, does it reduce the scale of policing? And when it comes to reform, there are a few things that are trotted out. Um, the first is the notion of more training. And when you look at what in practice more training means, the answer is no, it doesn't reduce funding to police. No, it furthers the belief that better training would somehow ensure that we can rely on police for safety and that instances of police harm and violence occur because of a lack of training. And honestly, if we see these videos, the answer is no. More training is going to increase instead of reduce the tools, tactics, and technology that police have at this, their disposal. And it's also going to increase the scope of policing because... When we advocate for police to be trained on how to respond to, say, for example, mental health crises, it furthers the idea that police are the go-to for every form of, of problem. And I think, like, from our discussions, we, we kind of get the idea, like, yeah, there's definitely different roles of public safety. Should that be everything that they do? Before I would fall for this for, for reform is the idea of body cameras. Like, gosh, like this has to help, right? Like we see how cameras and their videos really help people better understand how the police are engaging with their populace. But the answer is, does it reduce funding to the police? No, it actually increases because, you know, you have to equip these police officers with body cameras, and that means more money towards police budgets that's not going to go towards 911 infrastructure or social workers. 
And so, like, is it no forward? Like, is it going to reduce the scale of policing? No. Right now, what, when people call for increased use of body cameras for police, what we're to call in for is a police state where there's a huge amount of surveillance. And that's an antithesis to what we're actually looking for when we say abolish the goddamn police. And a couple other things that get trotted out. Community policing, you know, like, if departments hire more cops from the neighborhood and the community, like, that'll make things better. And this is kind of based on a notion of, like, there's a breakdown of trust. And, and, I mean, it's true. It's true. There's a breakdown of trust between the police and the community. But really and truly, that just means there's more police in these disadvantaged neighborhoods, which is the antithesis (laughs) to what we're trying to accomplish. Right, right. Trust has to be earned uh and not enforced the idea that the the engine that gives police their powers is that people trust in them is not the case in my experience it's, it's real it's real police have trust by proxy of violence and yeah. in that state, it's, it's the trust of a, 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 a domestically abused spouse more so than it is trust where there's an actual good man, uh, marriage and you actually trust your husband to not beat the shit out of you just because he doesn't like that you have lip because you didn't just take the ticket. And then another notion, uh, a couple other notions of reform that get trotted out is the idea of uh, if you have civilian review and oversight boards and if you jail the killer cops somehow, like, it's going to make a difference. And the answer is no, 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 and no across the board. For me, when I think of that, I think I've been hoodwinked by, I guess, great marketing to think that, yes, if we have more community policing, this is going to match your life. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like a one plus one equals two. And like, of course, it makes sense. And then you actually do the math and the science and the statistical analysis. And it's like, uh, it's counterintuitive. What abolition is calling for is suspend the use of paid administrative leave for cops under investigation. Withhold pensions and don't rehire cops involved in excessive force. Require cops to be liable for misconduct settlements. Cap overtime accrual and overtime pay for military exercises. Withdraw participation in police militarization programs. So, like, thanks. Yeah. Prioritize spending on community health, education, and affordable housing. And reduce the size of the goddamn police force. Honestly, when I think of abolition, I think of the abolition of slavery. This is how, this is the word as it is ingrained into my mind. And it's hard to think of just getting rid of the whole goddamn thing as it relates (laughs) to police. Yeah. And so a lot of times we seek to, Gabe, negotiate (laughs) (laughs) and what happens is these negotiations as evidence of the last five six decades of how uh, police reform has worked it's one of those things where do you actually give room to fascists because realistically you can't because once you give room for fascists this, the idea of these ideas are alike and are worthy of discussion. And I am now solidly on a, these two ideas are not worthy of discussion. We are not going to discuss 
whether or not to be fascists, like that is not a, an option on the plate. And police, as they currently are, are not an option on the plate. And so my question now to you guys is, well, I think, Gabe, you, based on your stories, you've answered this question. Feel free to correct me if I'm, uh, if I'm wrong. But would you call the police for help? Sometimes you have to. And, and I'll phrase my response to that this way. The <laughs> calling the police for help is like greeting a protester in your neighborhood with your hand on the trigger. (laughs) I'm laughing, but like... (laughs) Yeah, it's a strategic maneuver that may backfire on you. That is when I have called the police. Now, if somebody's rapping on my door, the first thing I'm going to do is go outside with my bat and say, get out of here, or I'm going to call the police. If... Uh, well, perfect example. So a dog bit a girl in my neighborhood and I ran out there and laid down at, I've told you this story, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, one time I wrestled a pit bull and ended up having to lay on it till the police came. And when the police came to help me right, help control this dog, because city of Watertown does not have animal control. His first instinct was to go to his gun oh, while God. I'm laying on wow. the dog. And I wow. yelled, put your gun away. Don't you have one of those lasso things in your trunk? And his eyes were like, oh, yeah. And then he went and got oh. it. <laughs> How can you reform that? Would I call the police in an emergency? Yes. Yes, I would. But do I re- think it's going to help? Not necessarily. <laughs> I'm as likely to get hauled off as the person I'm calling the police on. Yeah, um- let, let, let me share another situation where I recently called the cops. Honestly, I, I can't think of, of a different action in this play, in this example. So um, I was taking a luxurious nap in the middle of the day when the boys were napping, which, I, you know, this is a, a little advice for everybody. If you ever have words, when the boys sleep, you sleep. I kind of started waking up and, and my, my wife said, Hey, there's people fighting outside. And I went and I looked out the window and there, there were these people in a confrontation outside. And, and really at that point, I, I didn't feel like I wanted to put myself in harm's way to go and try to break up a fight that I didn't know what it was about. And I didn't know if the people had weapons and I didn't know, who was right or who was wrong or anything like that. Like I, I just, I really felt like risking my own safety and well-being wasn't worth jumping into a situation where I had no context. So at that point, you know, I did call the police, but you know, that didn't help all that much because they didn't get there for, you know, 20 minutes. Um, I guess low stake situations that don't, directly involve me, I think that's a better action than going and trying to get involved myself. But I think I've had situations where, you know, my car got broken into and the police, they they didn't even come. In Milwaukee, the police don't even come to that. It's like, okay. Um, if it was a situation more involving me, I, I would think a little bit harder about whether I wanted to involve them or not. So Gabe. Yes. When would you call the police? I would call the police in a emergent situation where 
one or more of the parties was a harm to themselves or others because there's a liability there to make sure that that emergent emergency situation is being taken care of. I have in the past called the police for minor annoyances and or broken cars and or uh, graffiti. And I have come to believe that that is not useful based on their non-interest in following through. I will, though, get some type of, of enforcement involved because at the end of the day, I can't chapter somebody, right? If there's somebody in the street yeah. who is going to hurt someone or himself, I'm not, I don't have the authority to put him in a 72 hour mental health hold. Um, because nine times out of 10, these things that I'm experiencing are going to be mental health issues. If I wake up and there's a burglar in my basement, I'm going to call the police, but I'm not going to wait for him to get here. <laughs> you know, uh, like I'm not, I don't mean that as a threat. I'm just like, you know, like I will take some kind of action to protect my family. You know, I'm not just going to lay in bed and hope they go away. So I, I think I get that the idea of like the police are used as this, this, this solve for all wounds. And we recognize that they are actually really shitty at like 88% of the wounds, but we use them anyway because it makes us feel better. And abolition talks about, well, maybe we just shouldn't be using them for that. Nick, my question to you is, you actually had a choice. You could have just not done anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Which is always really, really hard to do because in the moment you need to feel a sense of power. And I think I think when you call the police, it really does feel like you did something. Like you you helped. Like they're supposed to help. Like even though we recognize yeah, they're probably not gonna help and they can probably just shoot the fuck the shit out of the, the person having a mental health issue or the person fighting. Like, it feels like we're helping. And I think as a society, we're recognizing that, oh, wait, 911 doesn't do that. Actually, actually, what happened is Michelle said, if I'm going to keep watching it, I need to do something. So I need to call the police. Okay, well, then I'm going to call the police. It's not a television show. (laughs) But yes, yeah, you're right. And just one thing I want to touch on. Michelle and I were having a conversation about the police. And I think like we both kind of arrived at the idea that what the police actually do is protect the status quo. And I think what we're realizing is the status quo is pretty shitty. There's there's actually an officer, I, I just saw this, in Wauwatosa, who in the last five years has killed three people. And you can't get rid of them. No. With, with the unions and then with qualified immunity, it's like, it's just, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. One of my, my final questions to you guys is, based on what you've discovered today about how biggest proponents talk about police abolition, do you think that the term is a marketing problem? And if it is, how would you state it to get the point across? Mm. I would say yes, I think it is a marketing problem. I would agree that defund the police is a marketing problem as well. And it's it's only because many, many, many people aren't 
you know, digging deeper into that, they they hear that and they react viscerally and negatively to it because they say, well, then who are you going to call when something bad happens? They don't they don't realize that that there's already been a lot of thought by these advocacy groups that have been put into what the future looks like when we do abolish the police. I've seen some suggestions out there. It's one of those hard things because, you know, you want to make it sexy. You want to make it grab people's attention. But in the same regard, you don't want to state something that's just going to turn someone off right away and and push them out of the willingness to have a, a conversation. Prior to this conversation, I liked to de- demilitarize the police, but, but I don't think that that actually goes far enough to the points that um, you've made. So... I would have to think on on what I would call it. In education, there is a way of thinking about your students. Back a long time ago, we used to think about our students in terms of what they weren't good at. And that's called deficit-based thinking, right? And what we try to do as modern educators is, is instead think about what our students are good at and, and how we can help them achieve more at what they're good at. And that's called asset-based thinking, right? And this problem I say, see with the conversation about defunding and deforming the police is it's, it's deficit-based thinking. And instead, I think you have to think about it in terms of... of How do we make what we currently call the police better? And we do that by not necessarily looking at what they're good at or instead looking at what they're good at. And what are they good at? Well, they're good at breaking people's necks and and being forceful. So, okay, we have uh, we have a, a portion of our police force that is really good at at being the military wing of the judicial branch of government, right? Like we have the secret service. That's the executive's military. Mm -hmm. We have the military. That's the legislative's military. And then we have the police, which are the judicial military. And okay. Nikenji, who is the villain in the movie elf? The question is, Oh, I have watched elf. Robert me too. <laughs> Who the is the villain? Nick, Nick, if you know, you can help. Isn't the villain his dad? No, he's he's the redemption. Okay. He's, yeah, but he's not the villain. I mean, he's a jerk, but he learns to be better. He's the anti-hero. The villain in the movie Elf are the mounted New York Ranger police. <laughs> the new york rangers are the villain in a holiday classic and think about that that plants a seed where people recognize that something has been effed up about policing Mm -hmm. all the way back to when elf came out and all the way back to that reference, which the reference to them being the worst of the worst goes all the way back to that Central Park moment with the Paul Simon thing, right? Right. This has been a problem in our communities yeah, yes. uh, of, of, of for a long time. And society doesn't know they've been having this conversation because it comes off as a punchline and a reference to the Lord of the Rings, right? But at least it doesn't elf. But like... <laughs> 
<laughs> if you have the conversation not about the pe- police are bastards, but instead have the conversation about social workers are awesome and they should have uh, the ability to kick down a door and demand that to see your your wedding vows. <laughs> like, I know that's ridiculous, but like, I think you have to lift up. I don't think you can can punch down if you're looking for success. That being said, absolutely defund the police, get rid of the police, um, rethink the police. When we talk about defending and abolishing police and we talk about raising up more community aspects like social work, there's also the question of racism, bias, and prejudice is everywhere. I've heard some horror Mm -hmm. stories about social workers. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And everyone obviously has like a different perspective on what policing is and what life looks like without police and the negotiation, unfortunately, between that and reality. Hopefully we learned a bit more about the difference between reform and abolition and like you feel more like you could say, yes, I support the abolition of police. Because when you look at what they are looking for, which is really reduce, reduce, it's not as catastrophic or apocalyptic as one might think. Mm-hmm. And so then that leads us to, as a marketing person and you guys as marketing communications people, it's, yes, this gets people angry and it gets people riled up. But now I am in support of a thing that I recognize just has a really shitty name. And that is currently the point at which I am struggling because when I think of abolition against slavery, I guess, you know, it makes sense. Because when I think of abolition as it relates to slavery, I think of this entire shit is going to go. And the truth is, Mm -hmm. it hasn't and it doesn't. So maybe if we shoot for the moon, we'll get the stars. But, like, if we're shooting for the stars, all we're going to get is dirt. We're, we're, we're just going to get dirt. Yeah, that was, I like that. That was good. So, um, a couple of things we learned today, a few things we learned today. The first is, in each of us, the, when, we, when we define policing, the idea of a social contract is totally missing. There's no social relationship mm-hmm. that we have in that And two, Calling the police is a strategic maneuver that may or may not backfire because the police are not really there to help, per se. Three, the police are there to maintain the status quo, and the status quo is really shitty. (laughs) I heard, I heard some, or like, I don't know where I heard this, but it's like the police are kind of like HR, you know, like. It's always positioned like they're they're there to like help you and the management, but like to help the management. They really are. Like, if they help you, it's kind of incidental. <laughs> really is. I'm writing that down because I love that. And the final thing that we learned is that the Abolish the Police initiative is a bit of a marketing problem, um, both because the idea of abolishment and policing have really negative connotations, and this movement is going to have to surmount that in order to make any sort of headway. And you know what? If they make some headway, it'll probably be okay. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> you bought it all? You did it.